Okay, we're going to make a start. And before we, or as we do, I just want to clear a big, a big question up first, if that's all right. Um, apologies for this, but reading on the toilet, is that like gross and unhygienic, or is it multitasking? Just have a quick um, vote here. Who thinks it's totally unhygienic? Okay. Who sees it as multitasking? Okay. So therefore, without any sense of fear, I can admit to you that um, as a child, I multitasked my way through a book called Aesop's Fables, um, which is this collection of ancient Greek stories, and each one of them's got a moral. And there was one that I remember about four oxen and a lion. And the four oxen would defend themselves every day from, from the lion until one day they, they had a quarrel and they separated, and of course the lion picked them off one by one. And the moral of the story was, united we stand, divided we fall. And I remember at the time reading that and thinking, it's kind of obvious, like silly, silly oxen, really. It never struck me as a profound proverb until I worked here for a few years at church. And um, over the years, I've watched probably hundreds of people come through the doors of these, this church and Alpha and Newcomer's Meals and things like that, and I've watched um, many of them then year on year continue to grow in their faith. They discover a relationship with Jesus, but then grow in their faith and, and are able to face um, the most difficult circumstances in life, and their faith just seems to grow. Whilst others, I've noticed, they, they, they sometimes get to a point where their faith sort of stagnates a little bit and then starts to just fade away, and eventually it seems as though they, they, they walk away from faith altogether. And a pattern that I've noticed in this is that that decline often starts when people begin to withdraw from community. The people who press into community and press into relationships, they seem to be the ones where their faith just continues to grow no matter what happens. I guess I've, I've, I've watched and I've discovered that, that there is a profound truth in this proverb. United we stand, divided we fall. Now, of course, that isn't a Bible verse, um, but these words are from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 10. It says, he, that's Jesus, died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. And I wanna draw your attention to, to one word in particular there, or two, in verse 11. The words, one another. Encourage one another. You know, sometimes when I read this book, the Bible, my tendency is to read it um, you know, totally through a lens of what it means personally, what it's saying to me. And I can forget that certainly most of the New Testament was not written to an individual. It was written to groups of people. It was written to churches and, and groups of people. In fact, at the end of Thessalonians, um, it says in verse 27 of chapter five, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. And, and I read that the other day, and I personally felt charged to read this verse um, to, to us, to you, and, um, and to highlight the fact that this is written not to a person, but to a group. Listen to it again. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing, Trent Vineyard. See, Christianity on one hand is about our personal relationship with Jesus, but equally it's about a communal relationship. 
between Jesus and the church, Jesus and the body, the bride of Christ. And if we want to live out a life as a Christian, if we want to sort of do the stuff that it says in this book, we're called not just to Christ, but to his church as well. We're called to one another. And last week, John, when he was talking about, about serving, um, you know, one of the ways that we, that we can be one another together is through serving. And, you know, if you're looking for a place to serve in the church, um, Vineyard Trent Kids was highlighted last week. But another one that's a really good one to start with is the host team, the team that lay out all the chairs in the morning. Um, but if, if you are going to join that, I would just warn you before you do that we are pretty um, fussy about chairs in this church. Um, <laughs> You know, don't you? The rows that you are arranged in have been diligently laid out this morning um, with measuring sticks to ensure neat edges and equal row spacing. We have a standard row spacing, and then we have a relaxed summer setting for less busy periods, like sort of Ryanair versus business class. We've got this sort of like um, zeal for laying out chairs that, that apparently is, is known amongst other churches, um, imitated and understandably mocked in certain places. <laughs> so why are we so passionate about chairs? Well, it's partly because it's the most geometrically efficient layout. It yields the minimum average distance between each of you and this place here. Um, also, your chair is, is pointing towards the center, so you don't have to turn your neck to, to look at what's going on. But also, you'll notice that that curve that you have there, if, if, if you were sat in, in straight rows, then basically the thing that you'd be able to see in front of you is like whatever the view is and the back of the person in front's head and their, and their dandruff. But because of, the, because of the curve, it opens up the possibility of you just being able to catch the eye of a person in the crowd as we're worshiping together and watching them sort of, you know, nod at the sermon or laugh or in this case look slightly confused at the moment because you're wondering what is he on about. But the point I'm making is that in big ways and in little ways, we are a church that cares about one another. We want to maximize the sense of one another. And that's because God is passionate about that too. In the, in the, in the New Testament, the letters that were written to sort of um, advise the church as it grew, this phrase, one another, appears just a whole bunch of times. Besides this verse in Thessalonians, you'll see a blitz of them um, coming up behind me there. And through this, these verses, the Bible urges us to do all these things, to greet, to serve, to teach, love, accept, instruct, bear with, submit, honor, offer hospitality to, have fellowship with, encourage and love and encourage and love again and again, it says, one another. And it's a big list. Look at them there. So many. And that's some list, and really the picture that emerges through that is that as a church, this book is asking us to do something that is quite a big deal, really. It goes beyond the scope of what we could really hope to achieve just here on a Sunday, doesn't it? The reality is, of course, that on a Sunday, we can, we can be one another, but we can only connect so deeply. It's not like during the announcements this morning, Susie could have said, okay, we're going to take a break now. This is a great chance to turn to the person next to you and tell them the deepest, darkest sin that's going on in your life at the moment. That would have been really awkward, wouldn't it? Or to say, you know, great moment to just introduce yourself to the person next to you and tell them how your marriage is going. <laughs> kind of intense. 
But the risk is, that means that if all we ever did was come to church on a Sunday, we could, we could struggle in life in isolation, couldn't we? It might be actually that for you right now, you're, you're here this morning and there's something going on in your life um, that's, you know, you're thinking, can I actually get through this? And there might not be a single person in this room who knows anything about it. So what can we do about that? Where can we go to connect on a, on a deeper level? Well, we, we do it in, in a whole bunch of ways through, you know, relationships and through serving together. But, but I want to highlight one way in particular this morning, and that is through being part of a small group. Small groups work alongside Sundays, alongside the big congregation, to form a place where we can do those things, where we can submit and serve and greet and teach and affirm and love and accept and instruct and bear with and submit and honor and encourage and love and encourage and love one another. There's a pastor um, in America called Andy Stanley, and the way that he puts it succinctly is he says, he says, in rows, nobody knows but in circles, people know. And I kind of get what he means there. You know, even in these lovely curved rows that we have, we can only go so deep. But in, in circles, in other words, in a more intimate setting, there's time and space to go deeper. It's a place where we can know other people and be known ourselves. And where trust and relationships can form over time so that we can face life together. Sundays are a great place to ask, how are you doing? But small groups are a place where you can safely ask, but how are you doing really? There's a difference. And so um, I can see this morning that you're part of a row, but I want to ask you, are you also part of a circle? Is there a place in your life where people really know what's going on? And uh, I know that there will be, you know, statistically speaking, there'll be hundreds of you here this morning who are part of a small group right now. And I think one thing that we want to say is thank you for the way that you contribute regularly to the church family in that way, especially since I, I, I appreciate that it requires a bit of commitment, doesn't it? Um, you know, when you've had a long day at work and um, you, maybe you've heard that Jeff is doing the Bible study tonight and Jeff can go on till half past ten and... Um, it, it, by the way, Jeff, if you are here, that was just a random name. I wasn't trying to, <laughs> I wasn't trying to make a point. This wouldn't be the way to do it. Anyway, but, you know, it's dark and it's drizzly outside and you're thinking, I'd rather stay home and have a glass of wine and watch Netflix. And um, Abby and I, we've been part of small groups here for loads of, you know, years here. And we've run groups and we've been part of groups. And the truth is there have been quite a few evenings where, you know, it's got to half past seven and we're tired and the house is a mess and one of the kids won't go to sleep and, um, you know, we've just looked at each other and one of us has just blurted it out. I don't want to do it tonight. And, um, and when I say one of us, I mean me. <laughs> Abby would never say that. Um, but, but every time we've reminded ourselves, no, we, we are actually passionate about this and we, we're committed to it. And so 30 minutes later, we open the door or we, we knock on a door and we, we step inside and, and two hours on from that, time and time and time and time again, we've been reminded how awesome those people are and how wonderful it is to spend time and meet, pray and share life with one another. So if you are part of a group, I just want to you know, encourage you. It might be even that you lead a group and perhaps even this week you've thought, man, I don't know if I'm really am up for this. It would be so much easier to not do this I want to remind you of the value and the worth of what you're committing to. 
with these words from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. I think God, you know, he realizes that sometimes we just need that little bit of encouragement to spur us on and plug away at this. So that's something that I really want to get across, um, and, and especially I'd also love to communicate that to, to those of you who are here who are not yet part of a small group. Um, it may be that you're here and you're new to church, you're new to all of this, and perhaps you're having a bit of a panic now because you're thinking, so now he wants me to come along to this in, in the week as well as on Sundays. It's a bit of a commitment, and, and you know, I, don't, I want to be really clear initially that, is, that there's no pressure here. This is, this is something that you, you know, take your time with if you feel like this is the right thing for you. We'd love you to do it. And that's, on the other hand, one hand there's no pressure, but on the other hand, please know that the invitation is there. The, uh, the door's open. If you're thinking that maybe small groups are like for more advanced Christians or something like that, that's not what it's like at all. And if you'd like a bit of help in finding one, like Susie said, you can just go over to the Connect area, or there's a whole bunch of Connect cards on, on, on your seats this morning, so you won't be too far from one of those. Or even if you haven't got time to, to do that, there's a number that will come up on the screen, and it will come up again at the end, where you can just text, and somebody will then get back in touch with you, um, and um, you know, help you find a couple of groups to try and get started. And You just try one if you like it, um, keep going. If you don't like it, try another one. It's, it's as simple as that. But I suppose there are some of you, perhaps, who are here, and you're in a slightly different place again. It might be that for some of you, you've been around church for a while, and you would call this your church, but, but for one reason or another, you know, you're not part of a group just now or, or just yet. And it might be that you're in a place where you think, do you know what, I just don't think I really need that. I don't think I really need that. You might think, I've got friends and family that support me, and I know my Bible pretty well, and I've got a pretty good relationship with God. I don't really need to be in, in a group in that way. And if that's you, I guess one question that I would just ask, maybe to challenge you gently, is that, uh, do you know another person who didn't really need to be in a group? And that was Jesus. Jesus had a pretty good relationship with God. Um, Strictly speaking, he didn't really need the support of the people around him. He certainly didn't have anything to learn from them. But he chose to invest hours and hours of his life during his three years of ministry in a small group of close friends, because he knew that he had so much to offer them. And also because in his darkest hours, Jesus did actually want the support of his friends. And I believe that if he hadn't have had that little small group of disciples around him, if he hadn't have had those deeper relationships, he wouldn't have had a context to live out all of these one another's. I believe that his life here and his ministry would have been incomplete without them. So, What I'm not saying is that, you know, being part of a Trent Vineyard small group is the only way to do this. I don't want to get legalistic about it. But I suppose what I am asking is that if you are a Christian um, and you are passionate about doing the stuff this book says, then I want to ask you, if not in a group like that, then then where exactly are you honoring one another and loving and caring and supporting and encouraging one another in the way that this book urges us to do? Where are you pouring your life into other people? Where are you challenging and being challenged? Because it's such a massive part of being a Christian. In fact, Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Where in your life do you get to live that verse out? Where do you get 
to sit in a circle. So um, now for a slightly more inspiring section of the morning, we're going to hear from one or two people about their experiences of what it's been like to be a, in part of a small group here in this church. So would you welcome Althea? So why don't you tell us a little bit about um, how you came to, to be part of a small group? Well, I started attending Trent Vineyard just over 17 years ago. And one thing they encouraged you to do was to join a house group. So, I, so that's what I did. House group has been a line, a line life for me. And it's, it's my extended family. Through house group, I have made many friends and I've been supported practically, emotionally, and spiritually. Some of the practical things, this is only a few I can highlight because there's many. I've been through some difficult times since attending Trent. House group has always supported me. I have had my house painted, my garden done, and they even tidy up next to a garden so I could put my house on the market because it was in such a mess. Um, and that's after going through a very difficult divorce. Around the same time, my nephew um, was killed in an accident in America. Um, and while our group was praying for me, they wanted to know why I wasn't going to the funeral. And at the time, I couldn't attend. So they asked, could I get time off work? And I said, yes, I'm entitled to compassionate leave. So the next two days, I had a plane ticket, return ticket, coach ticket to the airport and back, and also insurance for me to go and be with my family. I was so truly blessed, and my family was, by that kind, generous offer. This is hard. Most recently, however, after the sudden death of my son, over three years ago, my house group has never left my side. I think Nick and Lynn was on a speed dial. <laughs> They're there somewhere in the audience. <laughs> um, I think after getting the news, I just sat there in, in complete shock, didn't know what to do. But they were there in no time at all, with lists of who was cooking our meals for about two weeks or more if we wanted to. Offer of picking up our family from the train station when they arrived from London. Oh gosh. At the funeral, past and present house group came together. Um, it was about um, 300 guests at the funeral. And they did all the welcoming all the refreshment. I don't think my family did anything on that day. They made sure everybody was looked after so that we didn't have to worry about anything. Now, months and weeks and years that followed after my son's death, house group has always been there for me. On a Thursday when I walk into my group, they can tell whether I'm having a good day or a bad day. House group has always supported me by praying and words of encouragement. Nick, even up until this day when he's going to watch Burnley, would take me to Huddersfield to visit my granddaughter who's in the audience somewhere. <laughs> Mackenzie, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> so that I could spend the day with her and then bring me back on the way home. 
this is not for everyone. I've recently appreciated a group that I've been going to more recently that has had a practical, a particular focus on living the single life. We're all different ages and over the time we have heard each other's stories and there is a deep sense of trust that has built up. It has allowed us to be incredibly open and vulnerable with each other. It surprised me in a good way and I have recent, I've really felt blessed and encouraged, especially in those times when we share and pray for each other. For me, house group is, for me, house group is a must. If you're not already um, in an house group, I encourage you to find one where you can be loved and cared for, and also you can love and care for each other. House group for me is my extended family, and I could not have done anything without them especially in the past three years, so thank you. Thank you so much. And let's welcome Josh. Yeah, mate. How are you doing, all right? Thank you. Playing the guitar earlier as well. Yeah, I know, doing it's the Josh show today, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll move on. Right, Not so... Really. Not really. Um, Tell us a little about your journey then. What did it sure. to get to get to um, small group and so on? Sure. So um, I grew up in a Christian family. Um, my dad was the pastor of my church, and he was also involved with the wider ministry of our church. So uh, we used to, we used to go with him around the country. We used to go to him to um, places in Europe and watch as he encouraged churches and. In that, I got really, really good at sounding like a good Christian, and I got good at telling things I wanted people to hear to please them and make me look good. Um, and in that, I was masking my problems and masking real things that were going on um, that needed to be dealt with. Um, but through that default, it was always just something I did. And at the end of sixth form, I, I decided to take a gap year to try and kind of discover my faith as my own. And I went out to a church in the Netherlands, um, and it didn't work out very well. I, I started to get angry at the church because they weren't serving my needs. They weren't catering to what I deserved as, as someone in their church. And I started to blame the church for my own sin. Um, so by the time I came to university, I decided, you know, I was, I was done with church. I wanted to do things my own way. And... Um, it happened that my sister was in Nottingham, and she t she kind of dragged me by the ear to another church. Um, it was a great church, and I, I was there for two years. Um, and the same problems really arose. The the guys there were great to me. They they gave me a lot of time, but I was always masking what was really going on. And it was the same kind of thing where I, I was looking outwardly at the church um, as the source of my problems, and never looking internally to me. And Things with my girlfriend weren't going so well in my second year, so we decided we should be in the same church as one another. Um, and that's how I ended up coming to Vineyard. So uh, we tried out my church, and then we came to Vineyard the next Sunday. And um, I remember being sat in the back row over there, and John was talking about um, serving, a bit like it was last week. And I remember I was slouched back in my chair, um, I wasn't overly interested at the time, and it felt like John was looking me straight in the eye, and he said, you know, if you've come here to Vineyards to see what you can take, you've come to the wrong church, you come here to give, and in that you'll experience Jesus, um, which was a really, really kind of penny drop moment for me, or the pin drop, 
Penny Drop. Penny Drop. Great. Great. Yeah. yeah. One of the yeah. two. Um, and, yeah, a pin, so and a pin drop moment in yeah, here. Yeah, something That's like great. that. Um, yeah, so. And then he said the best way to get involved is to get connected to a small group. So I went over to the Connect area and, yeah, they, they pointed me in the right so, direction. So you've been part of one for a while now. And what, what difference has it, has it made to be part of a group? Sure. So, um, yeah, it was really amazing. I remember coming along and I didn't know what to expect. And, you know, we'd, the first few weeks we had a lot of fun. We were playing games. We were doing Bible study. Um, and then I remember one of the first weeks, our, our small group leader really opened up on quite a, a deep and personal issue. And, um, you know, there was no mask there, and it was complete vulnerability. And at the time, I thought, you know, what a nutter. Why would, he, why would you tell people that? Um, but, yeah, then, then all, we, all he got back, you know, was love and acceptance. And we, we had this intimate time of prayer, and it was just beautiful. And I, I saw vulnerability modeled in a way that I'd never seen. Um, yeah, and then I remember after, you know, a couple of months in the small group, I decided it was time to meet up with my small group leader. And, um, you know, I wanted to come clean. I wanted to take my mask off. I wanted to tell him about the monster I was, um, you know, all the horrible things I'd done. And I remember we met up in Trent Cafe, and I was really scared. And I, I sat down, and I just told him all this stuff that I thought, everything that I didn't want him to know, I would tell him. And the whole time I spoke, he had a really blank expression on his face. And I, you know, I started to tense up at the end because I thought he was going to hit me or something. <laughs> and then, yeah, he didn't, if anyone's wondering. Um, yeah, he just, he looked me in the eye and said, you know, well, you know, thanks for telling me that. It's great, you know. Um, let's get you along. Let's, let's get you involved and we'll work on that stuff on the way. Brilliant. And so for you, that, that, that's been a bit of a journey. And now you, you're in a place where you're helping others on the journey yourself. Yeah. Right? yeah. So um, my small group leader called me in summer and asked if I would consider leading my own small group, um, which was a hard decision because as a student, you're, you're kind of intermittent. You're, you're at uni for a short period of time, then you're not. So I felt like I still had a little bit to go with this small group. But then I, you know, I remembered what John was saying about giving and and it, you know, I really felt it was the right thing. So I, I've taken on a freshers small group um, with the students, with Amy Glover and Bernie. And it's just, uh, <laughs> that was Amy's awesome. Here, um, <laughs> yeah, it's just really fun to, you know, we're three or four weeks in, I already feel like I'm making some good connections with some people. And, you know, I feel like these people are gonna become my family and it's early days now, but I get the opportunity to help create that culture that radically changed me. And um, yeah, it's just a big, big honor, really. Brilliant. Josh, thanks so much for sharing your experience. And finally, let's welcome Sarah. Right, mate. How you doing? So what about you, Sarah? What's your story? Yeah, so um, we came to Trent about eight years ago um, now, and um, got to be honest, the thing that first attracted us to Trent was how big it was, um, because we, um, me and my husband Dave, at the time, we'd um, gone through quite a lot of stuff, and um, we were quite hurt and had a bit of an issue with trusting people, so we were quite happy to come and sit at the back over there and um, like turn up every week, drop our kids off, and then um, go home, stay quite anonymous. Um, but we went to a newcomer's dinner because we were interested in finding out about um, the church and what it was, um, what was going on. 
And uh, one of the things that happens at a newcomer's dinner, if you haven't been, uh, it's a great place to go. And um, there's small group leaders there and um, all the different small group leaders, they chat to you and tell you a bit about their story. And we met this couple called John and Lizzie Lacey. Um, and um, it was quite funny how it happened because John was in the kitchen or, or the lounge talking to Dave and I was talking to Lizzie um, and uh, we had no idea that we were talking to husband and wife but, um, <laughs> but God did and um, so yeah, so we came back to church next Sunday um, there was no radical transformation we still wanted to hide <laughs> we still wanted to be anonymous um, so we kept sitting on the back row but what changed was that they knew us and they'd met us and they every time we passed them in the corridor or um, John would text Dave and um, yeah so um, they kind of kept pushing in um, but we still this was about 18 months this went on <laughs> um, it wasn't a short period of time and um, yeah we were like that kind of hard couple to crack I guess um, and um, Looking back, it's easy to kind of identify some, um, some barriers yeah. to us joining the group. And um, I think some of you might identify with some of those things. Um, there was practical things, like you said earlier, about like, you know, not wanting to go out after a hard day at work. Dave was ahead of year at secondary school. Um, and I had um, two kids, well, three by then, actually, um, kids under six at home looking after them. And the last thing sometimes we wanted to do was to go out on a, on a night. Um, but actually more than that, I think they were just often lame excuses, to be fair. Um, it was more psychological barriers that held us back. Um, uh, so for Dave, he's um, a real introvert and uh, didn't really want to be around loads of people. Um, in fact, just to illustrate that, it was his birthday a couple of weeks back, and um, he would um, tell you that he's, he had the best birthday present ever from me, um, and that was three days away on a silent retreat. <laughs> um, I, however, <laughs> if he'd sent me away for three days on a silent retreat, I would have been highly offended, because <laughs> I'm actually an extrovert and love being around people. Yeah. But for me, that was a really convenient thing, being an, an extrovert, um, because it was, like Josh said, a big mask, actually. Mm. Um, inside, I was hiding. Um, quite lonely, um, struggling with depression. Um, no one at the time would have known that. I was quite good at hiding. And, um, uh, and just move these on, sorry. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, because of my past, I was carrying a lot of shame around and I was hiding and, and um, hurt and um, found it hard to trust people. So um, we finally got to the point where we were about to have our fourth um, child and um, when I'd had Eden, our third child, I'd struggled with quite a lot of depression, and um, we realized we didn't have anyone um, around us. Um, and so we thought we need to kind of make that happen. Um, and the first thing we did was blame the church and the fact that it was so big. So if the church was smaller, then obviously we'd know those <laughs> people by now. Um, so we went and did a bit of a round Nottingham kind of tour of churches to find a smaller church but realized that actually the issue wasn't the size of the church, it was the fact that we weren't pushing in and connecting with people. So we came back and um, got connected with the small group, John and John and They Lizzie's eventually got you small along. Group. <laughs> so, yeah. so then what, what happened since, since you, then what happened when you got connected to the group then? Yeah, so I'd say that it changed everything. Um, they did all the practical things that you've heard um, people talk about tonight. Um, did a baby basket for Cora when she was born, cooked his meals, all that kind of thing. But I think by far the most transformational thing for us was that they gave us um, a place to belong. They loved us unconditionally. There was no strings attached to that practical stuff um, that they did. Um, and um, it wasn't always that comfortable, I've got to admit, because once they got to know us, 
um, they challenged us. And it was a place where I remember having dinner with John and Lizzie and um, John basically saying, what are you guys doing? You know, um, mm. what are you doing with your lives? Where are you going? What are you, you know, and, but we could take that because they'd built the relationship with us and we knew they were for us and that they loved us. Um, so the next thing you know, they'd referred us to potential small group leaders uh, training and they'd looked after our four kids so we could go. Wow, okay. So they really wanted you there. So, and then since then, it's really kind of moved on. Now, you're part of the, the staff small groups team here um, and passionate about small groups. So it's quite a change, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, what would you say to people just generally about, about small groups? Yeah, so I think... Um, I guess my challenge, I think this morning, this evening, I think that some of you will have resonated with the like barriers that um, I kind of like talked about. And I think that um, the first thing was that we weren't new to Trent when we started joining, when we joined a small group. So I think even if you've been coming for years, it's never too late. Um, I think that um, it came to me in the worship actually, just the sense that, um, you know, of loneliness. There's people probably here that are feeling lonely like I was. And um, we're in a society where there's like loads of, you've got like hundreds of Facebook friends and loads of Instagram followers, but actually you still feel really lonely. So just really encourage you that small group is a place where you can be known and belong and have true friendship, not just kind of a number yeah, <laughs> on, your, yeah. on your phone. Um, but I think there's also people probably here that think, oh, I don't need a group. You know, I don't need any practical help or I don't need any advice or... Um, or I've got like a close group of friends around me already and I don't need yeah. um, any more friends. But I think like John was speaking about being servant-hearted last week, I think, you know, sometimes it's not about what we can get, it's about what we can give. And we live in quite a consumer um, society and actually, you know, what if you are a John or a Lizzie and actually it's your place at the moment to, to go to a group and to connect with people and invest in them and bring out the things in them that they didn't even know was there. Um, so yeah, I, I just think there's a, a place for everyone. And, and there's nothing like getting involved in a group of people that aren't like you, they don't look like you, think like you, talk mm. like you, um, to realize that actually, you know, we've, none of us have got it sorted and we all, all need one another. Um, and, and there's a quote that nothing ever grows in a comfort zone and I think, you know, if your circle of friends is all nice and comfy, I think you, you know, you're missing out. Yeah, so. yeah. Oh, brilliant. Sarah, thank you so much. Brilliant. Great. So, I hope you found that encouraging and inspiring. And one of the things that so clearly came across, I think, in all of those interviews, is it's not just about what you can get out of this, although there's so much to get out of it. It's about what we can contribute and what we can put in bit of a caveat about small groups is that you won't find one that's perfect anywhere. Um, you may find that, you know, you go to a small group and, and people tread on your toes at times. Um, but even that is, um, is an opportunity for God to sort of work his grace in us and change us and transform us as we sort of just commit to that journey of encouraging one, one another and loving one another. So I just want to finish with this Bible verse that really you know, emphasizes what a big part of this is. In John chapter 13, Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The question that I want to leave you with is, where, where in your life do you get the opportunity to live that verse out?